0: The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has distributed, has dealt to each a measure of faith. Let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come in your presence again. We are so humble that you hear us when we pray. God, we are grateful that you are mindful of us even though we are dust. And now, God, have your way in the powerful name of Jesus. We pray amen, and we thank the Lord that the heat is on 68. Amen. Praise the Lord. And if it's not, please adjust it. You may be seated. In the presence of the Lord, please adjust it. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So grateful. Amen. Amen. If you have allergies like I do, it just has to be right. Somebody say amen. Whenever you travel by way of commercial flights, before an aircraft leaves the runway, a flight attendant will explain the safety measures. They will tell you where the emergency exits are and demonstrate how to exit the plane. They will explain where the inflatable life jackets are and how to use them. The flotation devices are pointed out and how they work. The last thing that the flight attendant will give safety instructions about is the oxygen device that drops down when the plane loses air pressure. But the part that always catches my attention when advice is given about the oxygen mask that drop when the plane loses air pressure is, the attendant will say, make certain that you secure your mask first. Wait a minute. I gotta, my wife is sitting next to me or my, my son and daughter uh, I'm going to take care of my kids, my family and then when you think about that the reason that is the instruction is if you don't first attend to yourself there's a good chance that instead of one person dying now you got multiple people dying you need to first apply the oxygen for yourself so that you can effectively help the people you love. People that don't have a godly view of themselves ignore the cardinal rule of helping others. Before you can help somebody else, you need to learn how to help yourself. We must have self-love, not selfish love. Jesus said, love your neighbor as what? As yourself. You cannot effectively love anyone. I don't care how fine he is, how sweet she smells, how much you desire them. If you do not love yourself, you will never love another person properly it will not be unconditional and so one of the things that is important and as we consider the long-term relationships that we desire to be in the first thing that we need to do jesus he said the first of the two greatest in all the commandments and all the commandments are summed into two says, love the lord your god with all your heart mind body and strength and then the second is as unto the first he says love your neighbor as yourself you must first have a love relationship with God before you can properly love yourself. And when you properly love yourself because of your love relationship with God, then you will be able to love your husband or love your wife or to even love your children. As we turn our attention today in God's Word, we will discover why it is necessary to silence the voice of self-rejection. This is a sixth of, of the, we've already covered five areas in our series and there are many, many more and I may have to stop and come back because the Lord has put some other things on my heart. But we will learn that we need to mute, to silence the voice of self-rejection and so today I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you, I want you to write some of these things down and I'm going to go as far as I can and we may have to stop but I'm going to go as far as I can. Again, in Ver- Romans chapter 12, speaking of self-rejection and thinking properly about ourselves, he says, For I say through the grace that is given to me that everyone who, among you, not to think m- more highly of himself than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure, a measure he has distributed, deposited, given to each one of us, a measure of faith, a measure of faith. Now, before we fully unpack this this passage that is filled with uh, supernatural treasures, I want to share two things with you. And if you just casually read verse 3, you'll miss it. And the two things that I want to share with you is that God gives us two incredible gifts. We have been given two incredible gifts. And the first, the Apostle Paul makes reference to. He says, "For, For I say through the grace... Given to me, the first gift that God has given to us is the gift of grace. And grace is unmerited favor. It is undeserved, and we could never earn it on our own. Grace is when we get something from God that we do not deserve. We deserve divine judgment. His grace makes everything that matters possible. Without grace, nothing that we do has any eternal value. Now, you're going to have to drill down on that. I like the way the Apostle Paul, when describing the call of God on his life, and you can apply this to whatever call that God has for you, whatever purpose or destiny, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. He said, but for the grace of God. So go, well, I could be doing any and everything if it had not been for God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace takes away all personal bragging rights. So when we start talking about the voice of self rejection, if you understand that by virtue of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you already have everything that you need. Paul says, puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves. Oh, I've got theological training. I'm multilingual, multicultural. I'm an intellectual. I'm a prolific writer. But he said, my sufficiency to do ministry is the result of divine grace. And so grace takes the pressure off of us in terms of trying to measure up to people because the bragging rights don't belong to us anyway. I can only do whatever I do because of, of grace. My sufficiency and adequacy for whatever I do is the result of divine unmerited, undeserved favor. Just think of what you have at your disposal. Can you imagine that at the moment that you accepted Christ, that an unlimited, infinite resource of supernatural treasure was deposited into your account called grace? It's always sufficient. Here's the second gift that will help us to see ourselves differently. Faith is a gift from God. The Apostle Paul says, as God has dealt to each one a measure. It doesn't say that you have greater or lesser faith, but we all have received the gift of faith. I like the way he puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, which is the gift of God, faith that saves us is a gift. We wouldn't be able to believe if God hadn't given us a gift to believe. Now now wrap your mind around that. And so faith saves us, sets us apart, enables us to see ourselves through the eyes of faith as God sees us, spiritually gifts us to serve others. And so with those two gifts, I have no reason to think of myself in any way other than one who stands favored by God as his very own Bible says that we are a nation of priests. We are a royal priesthood We belong to God, and if we could just understand that that we are hidden in Christ, that our significance comes as a result of grace and faith, you already have that. You don't need to work for it. You you received it at the moment you accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, what is the voice of self-rejection and the signs that you are listening What is the voice? What does it sound like? We already talked about the need to learn how to discern the voice of God, to to recognize God's voice, because sometimes the flesh sounds much like God's voice, like in the garden when the serpent talked to Eve. He used the word of God and took it out of context, and because of the similarity, he was able to deceive Eve. But we need to learn to discern the voice of God. Now, what is the voice of rejection? What is it? I'm going to describe it rather than define it. Self-rejection has to do with how you see yourself, how you view yourself, your self-image, your self-esteem, your personal value. It is a negative of, of a negative opinion that you have of yourself. On your best day, you ain't all that you should be in your mind. You have concluded that you have little or nothing to offer. That's self-rejection. You have little or nothing to offer. You have a view of yourself that somehow that you you aren't all that you should be. Pray for me. Self-rejection is a form of sabotage. Self-rejection tells you that your best is not good enough. Your best is just not good enough. Somebody else's best is good enough, or someone else's average is good enough. But the best you can do on your best day with your hardest effort, with your greatest amount of sincerity, it never adds up in your mind. No matter what people tell you, it convinces you to remain silent when you should speak, Self-rejection convinces you to speak when you should be quiet. It convinces you to to be in the back seat, to be a passenger when you ought to be driving. Self-rejection makes you a follower rather than a leader. Self-rejection causes you, you can't even get out of your own way. You stick your own foot out and trip yourself. (laughs) This is too good. This is too funny. Self-rejection is a form of self-inflicted abuse where the perpetrator and the victim are the same. You're the perpetrator and the victim because of a spirit of self-rejection. Self-rejection causes you to give others direct or indirect permission to mistreat you Mistreatment validates your sense of unworthiness. They're doing it because I'm not worth nothing. And you may not even articulate that. You may not even have the words to say that to your own, in your own way of thinking of yourself, but the way that you allow certain things to happen to you speaks about how you think about your value. It allows you to feel bad about being treated bad while releasing you from the responsibility to do anything about it. Some people just feel bad about being treated bad, but they don't do anything about being mistreated. You refuse to run from mistreatment. Instead, you constantly return for more by refusing to change your behavior. When you refuse to change your behavior when you're being mistreated, you're not retreating, you're returning. You're giving people permission that it's okay to disrespect me. It's okay to treat me wrong. You may see in others, oh, you shouldn't let them do that to you, and I wouldn't take it about you. you taking it, but you wouldn't encourage someone else to take what you willingly receive. Self-rejection tells you not to try what the Holy Spirit has already told you to do. And enable you. There's some things that the Holy Spirit is putting some of our spirits to do. I got books that I need to write. I know it. The Holy Spirit don't me to do that. I got every excuse. <laughs> There's some things that the Spirit of God has said for you to do, but you refuse to do it because you're afraid that if you do it, it may not work. And if you put it out there in the atmosphere and you say you're going to do it. Not only did he tell you to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, he has already equipped you to do it. Self-rejection tells you to try not to try. What the Spirit has already—I told you that. So those are the, those are the descriptions. Now let me give you some signs that you're listening to the voice. Here are some signs that you're listening to the voice of self-rejection. You lack self-confidence in your own decision-making. You make decisions and you question them, or you refuse to make a decision, and your strongest yes, your strongest yes is maybe. Ever anybody like that? Their strongest yes is maybe. And I ain't going to try to put the ladies on blast, yeah, and maybe this is just my experience. You go out to dinner, or you want to go somewhere. You say, "Well, do you want to go, baby? Wherever you want to go, where you want, Ah, wherever you want to go. And then you get to wherever you want to go. That's not where I. Well, no, no, no. You get to wherever you want to go. And so, what are we going to eat today? Well, I don't know. Well, maybe, and maybe, the, the person comes around like one time. You ready? To, no, three times. that doesn't happen in my I married mean, Sometimes, but yeah, everybody know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> making a decision and, and being okay with it. You live by your feelings rather than by faith. You live by your feelings rather than by faith. This is a great example of this, and I want you to, when you get a chance, to turn to, to, to read Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, and then verse 15. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord, the, or the pre-incarnate Christ, appears in bodily form to Gideon. Oh, let me read it. I might as well just read that. Then the angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak tree in Oprah and it belo- that belonged to Joash the Abiezite, where the son, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Dysfunction. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. To keep it from the Midianites, not only is he threshing wheat in the wine press because the wine press is not for threshing wheat and threshing wheat, he's hiding his harvests. Harvest is not something you hide. Your blessings are not something you hide. I'm going on. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. And here's what the Lord said, mighty, valiant warrior. Then the angel of the Lord appeared, and he said, mighty, valiant warrior, pardon me. What, what, who are you talking to, Gideon said. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replies, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us unto the hands of the men. So he, he goes from uh, diminishing him, w- before he gets to tell act when the Lord says, I'm sending you, then he starts complaining and blaming the Lord for his circumstance. I'm threshing wheat in a wine press because the Lord did it. That woman you gave me, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press because the promises of God that my parents talked about, I hear what they talked about. He walked in the Red Sea, deliver me. It ain't happening now. I hear all those folks talking about the goodness of the Lord. I can't pay my rent. I hear those folks talking about the goodness of the Lord, and I ain't getting no new job yet. I hear these people talking about I prayed for my mother to get delivered from COVID, and she didn't. I hear all of that, but what, 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 what we see is that Gideon, like others, when you don't think right theologically, when you don't think right emotionally about yourself, you're not going to think right theologically because you're going to see God in the Bible from the vantage point of your experiences. But when you look at God from the vantage point of your experiences, what you will also do is refuse to accept the fact that the consequences that your experiences are the result of your choices. If you choose to disobey God, you will be threshing. Wheat in a wine press. You will have to hard, hide your harvest. pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but now, but, but how can I save? And so the Lord. The, the, the angel of the Lord said, you're going to save Israel? And then, then Gideon gets into uh, making excuses. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and, and I am the least of, I'm the youngest in my family, the weakest in my family. I didn't go to college. I don't have a degree. I can't do it. I'm not this. I'm not that a spirit of self-rejection. And what we see, when you are controlled by your feelings rather than by your faith, you will think with your heart rather than your head. And that's what Gideon did. He took no responsibility for the consequences of his action or the actions of the nation. God was punishing the nations because of their sin, not because he was incapable of delivering them, When you're living in your feelings, you're going to focus on your limitations rather than your strengths. You will believe in what you see rather than what God has said. God said of Gideon, who's hiding in a wine press threshing wheat, he said, you are a mighty warrior. But the way Gideon saw himself was as a wimp. question is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the way that God sees us? And one of, the, one of the characteristics of a person that is struggling and listening to the voice of self-rejection is that you will be a person who lives in your feelings rather than with them. Here's the third thing. You depend on what others say or don't say about you to measure your worth. You're waiting for people to pat you on the back or give you encouragement because you're a people pleaser. People that struggle with self-rejection are people pleasers. You constantly, you constantly compare yourself with others. You constantly compare yourself with others. When you compare yourself with other people, you draw the wrong conclusions because you make people the standard rather than Jesus. The Bible says, let this mind be in you. We were the, the Bible says that God foreknew us, he ordained us and predestined us, not so that we could look like people in the church, that, but so that we could be conformed to the image of his son Jesus. He is the standard. But when you don't think right about yourself, you're looking at other people to determine what the standard is. You lie about your true feelings. You don't want to ask people for help because you think they'll be looking down on you. They think you. I must be dumb. I don't know how to uh, solve this problem. This answer this question. No, it's called making sure it's right. That make you dumb or stupid. But when you don't think right about yourself, you'll pretend that. You, you, you. I remember I gave this woman an assignment, and it was just to correlate papers. It was a lot of stuff, though, y'all. I gave her a whole lot, and I just, I just figured that was something anybody can do. I went down in the basement of the church. First of all, I saw her rocketing out of the basement of the church, almost like she, her hair was on fire. She just ran up the steps and ran right out the church. I never see that lady back in the church again. And I went down there, and the papers were everywhere. <laughs> over the floor, she was just, she, it just overwhelmed her. And rather than say not like I could have helped her but I could have gotten some help for her, but she didn't want it to seem like she didn't know. So we lie about our needs. You have a hard time accepting positive feedback. People can't compliment you. You ever compliment somebody, well, I got it from the consignment desk, and I I waited five years to buy it, and it was $9.39, and I got it with a coupon, so I just said, it, it, it looked nice. If somebody compliments you and you're okay with yourself, just say thank you. Thank you. Those same people have a hard time accepting constructive criticism. When somebody gives you constructive criticism that will help you to be more like Christ. The Bible says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Instead of responding as if the criticism about a specific circumstance is an indictment on everything that you are, that which is, that that which is a reflection of a poor self uh, uh, of lacking proper self-esteem, if somebody criticizes something that's going to make you better, it doesn't mean that everything that you ever did is a failure. I used to believe that. I played baseball, and uh, one of my buddies called me anxious. I took every at-bat as if it was the end of the world. I played for my neighborhood team. I didn't enjoy it because, in my mind, every mistake I made was Final. Every mistake, mistake you make is not final.
1: Somebody say amen. I'm,
0: I'm moving on. You, get, you engage in frequent, routine, negative self-talk. And I've said this before. Listen to what you say to yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you say? What do you see? Engaging in frequent, negative self-talk. You lack the skills or the willingness to set personal boundaries. You don't know how to say no when it's appropriate. You don't have to say yes. You don't have to be available every time somebody goes, Can I come over? Yeah. You can ready go to bed. Yeah. It's five o'clock. It's 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, sure you can come over. Can I eat breakfast? Sure you can come eat breakfast. You just you can ready to go to work. So some people don't know how to say no because they're afraid that somehow if they if they do, then people are gonna think ill of you. They're not gonna like you anymore. Need to be there's You have a deep-seated fear of failure. You avoid taking risks. You confine yourself to co- your comfort zone that others have defined for you. The comfort zone that we operate in is often from the voice that we heard when we were growing up. They said, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. And you here you are. You, 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 you're, you're established. You're well-accomplished. You're experienced. And yet you're still operating like that elephant. When an elephant is a baby, they put a small chain on an elephant's leg. And a, and a three-ton creature, however much an elephant weighs, you, you, you'll see that small chain can still confine the elephant. And the reason the elephant is confined by the small chain is it, could, it remembers when it was a child that it wasn't strong enough to break it. And so there's a chain on our leg or a chain in our hearts, in our minds, that makes us think there's certain things that we can never do because they said we could never do them. Oh, we don't look like the people that are doing them. They're they thinner, they're taller, they're brighter, they're this or that. There ain't no one size fits all. Somebody say amen. You have a pessimistic view, a pessimistic view of the future. Your attitude is whatever's gonna happen will happen. And then we spiritualize it. I just let go and let God. Let go. God never told us to let go. Hold on as God is doing it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And He said, somewhere, "Work out your own soul salvation in fear and in trembling." He said, "Watch and pray." Ain't no let go and let God. I know that sounds fancy and it sounds good. You hold on as God is leading. Pessimistic view of the future. Any and all of these signs will impact you financially, emotionally, in your relationship. When you don't see things getting better for you, I know somebody else might get a better job. I know somebody else is going to, God will give you a husband or you a wife. it ain't going to happen to me. Why not? You have a critical spirit of others. There are people who you find, you talk to people and they say, oh, that was so great, but. Whoa, what do you mean it Was great butt? So soon as you hear that, then you know that the, the conclusion of the sentence is going to be something, they're going to find something negative, and usually that's about themselves. We're moving right on. You give excessive attention to clothes and appearance. Now, when somebody's a teenager, you know, they look in the mirror, they look in the hair every five seconds, and, and you know, they make sure they're not in their teeth, and making sure everything is just right. But when you're 60 and 50 years old, you're going to be doing that excessively concerned about how you, how you look and what you wear. And you, you, you can't be comfortable because 10 minutes after you've seen yourself, you want to... Look, oh, let's, let's run on. You are easily offended because you feel disrespected and disregarded. If you are, inclu- if you are not included in something that others are doing that you would like to do or at least be asked to do, you feel rejected. It's personal. There's no way they wouldn't ask me if they liked me. There's no way I'd be left out if they had any regard for me. It's totally personal. Someone obviously doesn't care for me. And so a person who has self, a self-rejection spirit can be easily offended, easily hurt. The least little thing can just throw their day off, and then they're done. You fake external confidence to conceal inward insecurity. You think that you always got to have it together. You just act like it's, you know, you can't, you don't know how to laugh at yourself. You're perfectionist. Someone has told you that you, 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 you fake it until you make it. You act like it's just, every hair is in my, no, 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 no one's perfect. No one always has it together. Now, one of the things I love about the Word of God is transparent, man. It, it shows you without your makeup on, all the warts, all of the scars, all of the sins, God has them bare for us to see so that we can learn from the examples of others. If God allowed, if the scriptures were fake and plastic, then we would never think that we could become all that God wanted us to be. Here's the last thing, and I want to share. There are many more, but you struggle with, with tormenting thoughts that lead to discouragement and emotional exhaustion. You're tired, and you haven't even gotten out of bed. You are at war internally with yourself, and you always lose. When you're fighting yourself, Paul I don't punch the air as if I am uh, a... I aimlessly wasting my effort. He said, but I discipline myself. I buffet myself. I bring my body under submission that every blow, that every act of stressing and energy that I use will allow me to honor the Lord. I press. What do I press towards? The higher mark. He said, this one thing, not ten things, this one thing that I do. But when the devil keeps you in bondage in your thought life, you can't effectively serve the Lord. So how do you silence the voice of self-rejection? I'm glad you asked. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Here we go. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. He said, be not, what? Conformed to this world, but what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and the acceptable will of God. perfect, acceptable will of God. And so what we're going to see, therefore, if you want to get to a place of deliverance in your thought life, a place where you're no longer hearing and being dictated to by self-rejection, these four areas will set you free. And the first is in verses 1 and 2. The first is you need to surrender yourself daily to the Lord. He said, I beg you, I plead with you, because of the mercies of God that I've talked about in the first 11 chapters, in light of all that God has already done, present your body, surrender, offer He said, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is going to set you free. What do you need to surrender? Three things. He said, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. The Apostle Paul is acknowledging that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that God lives in us, and because we have trusted Christ as our Savior, we are no longer our own. Our bodies are the property of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, at the very start of each day, you need to make a conscious decision that this physical body that is indwelled by the Spirit of God, that I will not use it for anything that dishonors God. I will not use the eyes that God has given me to look at anything that displeases him. I will not use my hands to touch anything knowingly that is displeasing to God. I will not go, the Bible says, avoid the very appearance of evil. I will not go places with anyone that I know. The Bible says, make no provision for the fulfilling of the lesser flesh. There's some things I'm not going to do with this body. There's some conversations I'm not going to have with my mouth. Because I am presenting, I am surrendering, I am yielding my body. When you, This is not about how I look, what my, how much I weigh, how much where I went to school. No, no, no. This is a conscious decision as a believer who is a recipient of grace and faith. I will offer my body today. the way that I offer my body, Paul says this, I say, walk in the Spirit, parapetalo, one step at a time, yield, depend, rely on the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is at war with my flesh, and the flesh is at war with the Spirit. But when I'm filled, when I'm yielded, I am crucifying, I am putting to death my flesh, It doesn't have to control me. The reason why we're told to do it is because it is not natural for us to do it. And so every morning, start your day off by recommitting that I am going to be a living sacrifice when it comes to how my body is going to be used when you are controlled by the Spirit of God by doing with this body that belongs to Him what He commands us to do. That is an act of worship. He said, which is your lead, the reasonable thing or the least thing you can do? Well, I can't wait to get to church to worship. I can't wait to No, no, no. You don't have to wait to get to church. Just be obedient. Here's the second thing that we need to surrender. He says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye metamorphosized, changed from the inside out, from one nature to another nature, by the renewing of your mind. You need to surrender your thought life every day to the Lord. Because as you think, so are you. Oh, I've made a decision about my cell phone about my electronic devices. I am not going to be dominated by this world's philosophy. There's so many things that can distract you that you can fill your mind with. And when we are doing that, we are not, we are not surrendering our thought life to the Lord. Our thoughts, the Bible says, our thoughts are not his thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher. And so I need to have my thought life renewed. How do I renew my thought life? The Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means you need to spend time in your word every single day that you may be as a newborn babe who craves the sincere, unadulterated word of God. That what you may not be the smartest person at the church, not be able to quote verses from scripture, but that you may grow thereby. You need to surrender your mind. Oh, if we would just allow, sometimes what I do, I'll listen to entire books of the Bible, start my day off like that. And, and it just shapes the way I think. It, is, it sets the spirit of my day after I get my cup of coffee of 15, for the first 15 minutes. Praying and then in the Word. Paul says, since then you have been raised from, with Christ. Set your heart, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. Here's a third thing you can surrender. Surrender your will. He said that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your mind controls your body, and your will controls your mind. Your will, what you tell your mind to do is your will. And so, well, I'm just going to have willpower. I don't know how, how much willpower I have try to have when it comes to certain things. You cannot change yourself by your own will willpower. Just read Romans 7, verses 15 through 21. Paul said, that which I would do and should do, I don't do. He said, because the enemy is enemy. The spirit of the old man is present. And so when I make up my mind that I want to live for the Lord, my flesh rises up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? when I desire and 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 make up my mind to to be obedient to the Lord, I got this battle. And he said, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And he said, thanks be to God, not my will. Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that we learn to surrender our will to the Lord is by spending time in prayer. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he he prayed three times, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass. And he added, nevertheless, not my will. When you learn how to pray, that is an act of dependence on God and is an act of surrender. And you're saying, Lord, I will do whatever you direct me to do. One of the things that is an evidence of lack of spirituality is a, a life that is not saturated with prayer because a person that doesn't pray is not dependent on God. And sometimes the thing that we want God to do the most, he is withholding it because we won't make a sacrifice to pray. We're too tired. But sometimes we got to rise up early in the morning. Somebody say Amen. And so we need to, first thing is that if I want to think right about myself, you need to surrender your body, your mind, and your will. Here's the second thing. You need to see yourself as God sees you. He said, for I say by the grace that is given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you should think, but soberly as God has dealt to us a measure of faith. And what he's saying, this measure of faith, what God has given us is lenses. The lens is called faith. And and, and what he wants us to see through the lens of faith by trusting is is what has he said about us? And, and, And so when I look at myself and I put the lens of faith on, what I will see is what God has said. And when I'm thinking soberly about myself and not more highly than myself, I'm going to see myself as God sees me. So what we want to do is get a godly opinion, a godly assessment. how does God see you? what is god's assessment of you? any of you Oh, I, 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 I read my Bible now and I do a lot of things I do because wife says, but man looks at the outward appearance. what do you look like from the inside out? And so one of the things that, that, that needs to happen is that you need to see yourself as God sees you. The more your faith grows in his word, in God's word, the better you'll feel about yourself. Every time you obey the word of God, your faith grows. It's not the great, well, when I get to uh, be like Pastor Benson or the elders or, or some of the sisters, no, 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 no. Every time you obey God's word, Even in the small things, your faith grows. And as your faith grows, your vision of who God is and how he sees you becomes clearer. Are you assessing what God is looking at? Do you see what he sees? And we keep saying it over. You are fear. I see you as fearfully and wonderfully made. I was watching over the members that were being formed in your mother's womb when you were yet being conceived. God said, I watched over them. And not only did I watch, I was knitting them together in such a way that I designed you like nobody else. There's nobody else in the entire world that is just like you. See yourself as God sees you from the lenses of faith. Take off your vision. And what has God said? Not what you see, what is God? Well, not what the world says, but what does God say about you? You might want to do a Bible study. What does God say about me? Now, apart from him, we're wretched and undone. But in Christ, in Christ, we are the beloved. Amen? Here, let me run on. Here's another thing that needs to happen for us to get past self-rejection. Serve others by using your unique gifts. Using your unique gifts. When you get a chance to read verses 4 through 8, he says, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. You have been given a spiritual gift. And the first thing that needs to happen as you serve, your gift was not given for you to ego trip, but to serve others. God didn't give you the spiritual gift so you can come to church and just have your Bible open and take a whole bunch of notes. (laughs) No, no, there are no bench warmers on God's team. Here's three things that you need to do to serve others with your unique spiritual gifts that have been given to you. Accept your unique spiritual gift. He says, for there are many members, but one body. We all don't have the same... Accept the fact that your gift is different. We may have the same gift, but there's a different uh, manifestation of how God uses one gift, the same gift, same preaching gift. Somebody has 10,000 members, another person has 50. God just chooses to use gifts differently. So accept the uniqueness of your gift. Here's another thing. Appreciate the gift because it was given to you. Verse 5, it says, "So so we being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The gift that you have was, a, was given to you by Christ. Appreciate it. Activate your spiritual gifts. He said, having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to you, let us use them. Verse 6, what are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? Use your gifts. And here's the final thing. So serve with this unique spiritual gift that you have. See yourself from God's perspective. Surrender yourself daily with your body, your mind, and your will. Accept, appreciate, and activate your spiritual gifts. Now, here's the final thing. This is how you get past yourself. Seek opportunities to intentionally bless others so that they can see Christ. This is just the opposite. You need to work on yourself. You need to do something. Yeah, you, you should. But you'll feel even better when you're being used by the Lord to bless others. Now, watch this. Here's verses nine through twenty-one. I'm not going to hit all these, but I ain't going to do it. I'm going to just hit some of them. Just touch some of them. Thank you. Don't in verse nine says, "Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. That's one way that you can seek to bless. Really love people. Don't be a hypocrite. I love everybody. No, you don't. You should." Hate that, hate what is wrong, and stand on the side of what is good. Don't applaud when people get what you think they deserve. I was glad at the outcome of the Aubrey uh, uh, trial. I'm glad that justice prevailed, but I wasn't happy. He's gone, and three men are now possibly in prison for the rest of their lives, and their generations are impacted. That's a, that's a horrible outcome, even though it was justice. Amen, church. They should have been. No, 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 no. That's justice. Love each other with brotherly affection and take delight in honoring each other. Stop waiting for somebody to honor you. When they acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge them. No, Lord said so you be proactive. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Why would somebody want the Jesus you had and you act like it's the worst thing, the less thing? There's no enthusiasm, no energy, no passion. You act like you ain't even saved. You like a sour lemon attack that you somebody set on set you on attack or something. He says, serve the Lord with enthusiasm. Where's your passion? When God's children are in need, you you be the one who helps them. And get into the habit of inviting guests to your home for dinner if they need lodging. That shouldn't only be uh, the lions either, and, the, and, the, and some of the other folk. Invite people to your home. That's how you seek to, uh, uh, to intentionally bless. I'm moving on. Bless those who, are per- who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. I'm going to do a series on loving your haters. <laughs> loving your haters. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Never think or act like you're better than anybody else. Never render evil for evil. Those are just a few things. When you get a chance, that whole section, you know how you're supposed to act as a Christian? Go right to Romans 9 through 21. You know how to take the, 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 get out of the center of the stage. You're not the star anyway. I ain't the star anyway. Jesus is the star. We just shine in the light. We get to shine the light wherever he is. And sometimes when we're being like him, the light will shine through us. But it's not our light, it's his light. And when his light is shining through us, people will see our good works. And they won't pat us on the back, but they will glorify our Father. Who says, when they see the light shining through us, they will ask a reason of the hope that is within us with fear and in trembling. We can tell them the reason I'm the way I am is because of grace, it's because of faith, it's because the Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. I was a wretch undone, but he looked beyond my faults. Same with me, he saw my knees. He saw my knees, he saw my knees. If anyone had a good reason to struggle with self-rejection, it would have been Jesus. He was considered illegit. Mary and Joseph weren't even officially married when she got pregnant. Jesus was born in a manger, and his crib was an animal's trough. Raised in the hood of Nazareth, the ghetto, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's what was said. Jesus, his parents, Joseph, and Mary were poor. The Bible says he was in the world. The world was made by him, but the world did not receive him. He came unto his home. But they knew him not. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, the Bible said he was despised and rejected. Wounded for whose transgressions? Wounded for your transgressions. Wounded for mine. Jesus, the man of sorrow, was spat on and, and lied on and falsely accused and beaten and his beard pulled from his face and crown of thorns thrusted on his head, but he never said a mumbling word. He could have called legions of angels when they were nailing him to the cross. But he who knew no sin was becoming sin for us, that through his voluntary sacrificial death, that we now become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ is deposited into your account, and God now looks at you and me just as if we've never sinned. In spite of all that Jesus went through, the Bible said, We have not a high priest who cannot be t- no, touched with the feelings of our ignorance, but was tempted just like as we are. Yet he never sinned. He remained focused on his purpose. So he, every day, as Jesus lived, he surrendered his body, surrendered his mind, surrendered his will. Seeing himself as God's son, he was still the son of God. He who existed in the form of God never regarded becoming equal with God, something he needed to earn. He served with his spiritual gifts. And he sought to bless others by coming and dying in our place. If Jesus could do that, and we have Jesus in us, the overcomer, Surely we can overcome all the wounds that have been afflicted on us. And I want to say as we are closing, sometimes the devastation of self-rejection is so deep. We can't get out of that hole, that valley. We need help. I've encouraged people to get counseling, therapy, so that you you can no longer remain the perpetrator and the victim. God wants to deliver you from the voice of self-rejection. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we surrender. We surrender all. In Jesus' name. Oh to Jesus.